Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat and uh, <clears throat> you can get a copy of God's Word in your hand. Um, you know, I love uh, the theme of that song that we just sang because um, greatness is really, um, what you do with greatness is in response to it, you just sort of stop and take it in. You just stop and take it in. And, uh, you know, so much about what we've been uh, learning from Sermon on the Mount just leads us right to God and says, hey, just remain there. Take in who God is, and in the midst of that, it's like, it's like whenever you see something beautiful in nature, you just kind of stop and you're like, that's great. And you just sort of absorb that, and that posture in worship, and uh, it leads to abiding in Christ, it leads to so many good things in the gospel, and uh, we're going to be um, going that direction in some ways this morning in the message, and so... Um, first off, I just want to welcome you uh, to Christ Church, whether you're uh, joining us online or here in the room with us. Um, we're thankful for each one of you. But I, I want to, as we try to again and again and again, um, remind you that <clears throat> we can't be, as disciples of Jesus Christ, just satisfied with gathering together on Sunday. Because what we're going after together is a, a mission. We want to be united around the mission. We want it to uh, be the unifying center of all that we're chasing after, and uh, the mission that God's given us so clearly is to be a people who uh, first love God, uh, then out of the love that God has um, for us and the way we experience that, to love others and then to make disciples. And so loving God means that we listen to Him and we submit to Him and we experience a response of worship. And loving others is receiving God's love, and as we talked about last week, letting it flow through you. And then making disciples is just uh, walking with people, and, and, and it's a process of being trained after faith in Jesus Christ. It's discipleship is just a process of being uh, conformed into the image of Christ to following the way of Christ. And this series um, that we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount has been a challenging us in all aspects of that mission, right? Like anybody else with me, you're just kind of like, man, God, like, okay, another week, I'm going to get challenged in some way from God's word, and uh, this kingdom culture, oh man, we, we want it in our church. We want it laid into the fabric of the culture of our church, and this next piece is in front of us. We made it through chapter five, and now into chapter six, Matthew chapter six. Uh, let's pray as we begin. God, I... Um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your greatness and your goodness to us. I um, am honestly just kind of blown away by the privilege that it is to, uh, to lead in this way that you've called me to. And I thank you for the ways that you've called uh, every person in this room who's a follower of Christ to use their gifts for the glory of God and for the building up of the church. And I pray we'd all grow in that and live in that. And uh, God, I just pray for this word in front of us. I pray for what it what I believe you want it to do in our hearts this morning. And for some, God, I pray you would walk them to freedom. And for some, I pray you'd convict them of where they've been and open their eyes to it. And in the loving way that you do, I pray you'd lead us forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, sometimes um, when you look out into our world and you see the impact of sin, um, it's easily seen and understood. They're the things that grab the headlines. It's the, um, it's the, 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 the sort of anger that, that, that grows into a murderous rage or, or it's the addiction that uh, sort of systematically destroys every aspect of a person's life. When you see those things, you clearly see the impact of sin. 
But sometimes it's, it's just more subtle than that, isn't it? And in the subtleness of the way that sometimes sin can encroach into our lives, it can be so deeply dangerous, but it's not as easily seen as some other things. And so uh, the question I want to ask you from the beginning that sort of starts to get us going in a direction is this. What about, what about your insatiable longing for approval? Your, your need to be seen and affirmed. What, what about that part of your life and my life? You know, the, the, the idea of needing and wanting affirmation is adorable in a small child, isn't it? Like, we love it. Like, those of us who are parents, or even when you watch other parents of young children, parents respond with this overwhelming, sometimes, amount of praise and excitement over the smallest accomplishment. It's like, they smiled. Even if parents who are more experienced know that it's gas, they're like, they love it. They're taking pictures, they're posting of it, they're so excited. These moments are just like, they rolled over! And, and you're kind of freaking out about it, and then they start doing that the first time they have that sort of gut laugh, the, 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 the moments when you see them grow in their first words, and they're starting to walk for the first time, and going to the bathroom by themselves, an incredible moment for the parent. And, uh, you know, all the things. And kids become trained by the response they receive and they start to look for it. They, they do something that's significant and then they look to the parent for approval. Have you seen this? But, but, but listen, 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 this is an unstable source of affirmation that some kids from very young ages have to wrestle through, unfortunately, and some, because of the way that can become the foundation of their life, struggle into other seasons of their life. Because sometimes the parent is not present. Or sometimes the, the, the child receives criticism instead of affirmation. Or sometimes the parent never looks up from their phone. Parents have to be careful. Parents who want to raise their children in the ways of the gospel, they must be careful because you want to affirm and you want to show affection, but you've got to shepherd your children to, to, to find their security in God, not in the affirmation of people. See, too much dependence on affirmation from people can create an insecurity in relationships that can lead to a variety of struggles. Don't we all know this? And so in the mix of your sinfulness and your sin bent, and oftentimes because of the conditions of the environment in which you were raised, plus the environment and circumstances that you've walked through in your life, has created some degree of needing approval. In your heart and in mind, some degree of wanting validation, some desire to want to be seen. And I think that in a lot of ways, to certain degrees, God bore that into our hearts. These desires then can start to infiltrate or impact the motives of your spiritual life too. And it can start to play out in that way in some really unhealthy ways. And, and so your devotion to God can, can be a, a tool to sort of earn praise for men. And into this place of insecurity and in this place of longing for approval, in your heart and mine, uh, Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 6. First six verses, let's read it together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, first thing, um, big move, and uh, our, our, I, I, sometimes I feel like with these I need to be like, big move that requires all of God's grace in your life. It's like, in your devotion to God, seek the glory of God alone. In your devotion to God, seek the glory of God alone. That's the essential message from Jesus here. And he's going to walk us right into resting in the approval that God gives and to stop chasing approval from people. So there's two responses that's going to lead us forward. There's two things that we've got to park in for a bit to be convicted and then to be encouraged. Okay, you guys ready for this move? This is what God's Word does a lot. Convicts, reveals, and then encourages and leads forward. And so let's start with the part we all love the most. The um, correction or the rebuke. Here it is. Avoid the desire to seek the glory of men. Or the glory of people. So, so let's just unpack this for a bit, and, and I, I want to make sure we all have a picture of this and understand it. So first, Jesus says the very first word, what, what is it in the passage, church? What is it? It's beware. It's beware. Jesus used this word uh, five times in Matthew. It's a warning. It's something to be alert to. It's something to be cautious of, to avoid something. And, and Jesus is not like, you know, some, some people are like, are like beware about everything, right? You know, those people, they're just like nervous about everything. And sometimes you get the sort of like, so Jesus is not some like helicopter God who's like, oh no, oh no, watch out, watch out, be careful. And it's sort of like overwhelming. When Jesus says beware, beware, lean in, listen carefully. He's got something that he's warning us about that he wants to keep at the forefront of our minds. It's like when I walk towards a road, maybe because of the scarring, I don't know, of the way my mom yelled at me about looking both ways, but when I get to a road, I look both ways. I still hear mom's voice. It's at the forefront of my mind. There's a warning there. And Jesus, when he says beware, he loves you and he wants to protect you. So lean in. Notice the focus of the warning. He says, it's not just... Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. The passage doesn't stop there. Notice what it says. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. It's a purpose statement. It's pointing towards your heart and your motives in places that people can't see. It's, it's saying that, that this is an issue that isn't an action issue. It's a heart and motive issue. Because, because it's not a problem to, to practice your righteousness before other people. Like, there's lots of ways that respecting and responding to God and his word is going to play out in front of people all the time. I mean, back in Matthew 5.16, Jesus told us, let your light shine before others. 
And somebody might be like, contradiction. I got you. Contradiction. It's right there in the Bible. But, but look at what it says. The motive in that passage was really clear. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And as with many things that people might say is a contradiction, it's not a contradiction, it's a clarification. Two very different things. See, the warning is clear here in this passage. Avoid the desire to seek the glory of men. Be careful that your, that your motive for devotion to God is not to be seen by people, but to honor God and to do it for the glory of God alone. And so what Jesus does, because it's helpful um, in any communication, is he gives illustrations. He gives some illustrations that are pretty close to home to the reality of what was playing out in the religious culture. First, he says, when you give to the needy, okay, now just pause for a second, a little aside. Um, do you guys notice here that Jesus assumes that people are giving to the needy? That's a really convicting thing that I just thought about a little bit. And it's not, the, it's not the main point of the passage, but I just want to, an aside, go, I think that God is always showcasing his heart for people who are needy. And, and calling and assuming that the church of Jesus Christ would be generous towards that. And I want to encourage us to press into that in so many different ways. But what he's doing here is he paints a vivid picture in this first example. And he's like, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. And so sometimes I feel like the, the way that, they, that Jesus communicates things, I think he's really trying to, to paint a picture to kind of make people laugh. And he's painting this, this idea of like somebody in a synagogue or in a, a religious gathering place or in the streets where there's a lot of community. And he's like, yeah, yeah, when you give to the needy, don't be like, I'm right now giving to the needy. And this is how much is on my check that I'm giving to the needy. Like it's kind of this moment where they'd be like, that's really kind of funny. It's this absurd picture, this over-the-top idea that is hyperbole to paint the picture of someone's motives and someone's heart. It was meant to sort of get a sense like, that's kind of absurd. That's kind of crazy. To be that desperate for the approval of men and of other people. And so this, this idea of the synagogue and the streets, these were public places. This was center of community. For the, for, for, for the area, and there would have been lots of people around, and in these public areas, they are playgrounds for the hypocritical heart. Playgrounds. The hypocrite, what the hypocrite does, the idea of this, of this reference is hypocrites love to paint a picture of concern for the poor, but it is just an act. The real motive of their actions is they want to be seen by people. So they negotiate into places and ways that they can be seen. And a hypocrite is seeking desperately glory or approval from men. And honestly, it doesn't matter how much they give. The, the, amount, the amount given, the amount of sacrifice doesn't even change the heart of the person who's a hypocrite. The degree of sacrifice is not applicable because the motive is flawed. The degree of sacrifice is not applicable because the motive is flawed. So then Jesus moves on to reinforce it. He now paints another picture of public prayer. So now, you know, again, he's painting this picture of, of what would happen. And he says, you know, the hypocrites, they love to stand and they love to pray in the synagogues, in the street corners, in these public places. <clears throat> and again, he's warning us, watch your motive. Watch your motive. 
And again, the picture in my mind of this is just sort of he's painting an absurdity. Like I love that some of our, some of our um, women gathered together uh, to, to pray this past week in different homes in our area. And, and, and the picture here is like one of the women in the middle of the prayer thing, it's like the prayer circle and the circle gets around to me and when the circle of, of prayer gets to me, I'm gonna stand up on my chair and I'm gonna be like, ladies, I'm gonna declare over you right now. It's this sort of humorous moment of like, what in the world? You're clearly desiring the approval of other people. And so Jesus here is, even the way he says it, he's like, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. When people are motivated by the approval of men, they just happen to find themselves in the moment when the most people are around to do something. You've been in those situations or have you felt that own that desire even in your own heart? I know I have. <clears throat> there's a compulsion and a motive there. There's a heart issue. Now, now I want to give some clarity. There's nothing inherently wrong. And Jesus isn't saying that you can't give to the needy or pray out loud in public. He's not saying that. I don't want you to be concerned. You're like, didn't we just hand the offering basket? Like, Am I supposed to do this completely in secret? And some people have been a bit too literal with some passages like this in my mind. And uh, the issue here is the heart of the motive. Notice even the prescription that Jesus gives for avoiding the desire to seek the glory of men. He says when you give to the needy in that passage, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Again, he's clearly talking about the heart here, guys, because last time I checked, I've never, I haven't had many moments, except maybe a sleep, where my left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing. Like, they're connected. Like, I, 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 I can't get to this place where I'm like, they don't know. It's painting a picture. It's a powerful, convicting picture, too, if you think about it. To have complete secrecy, to not let other people know, and even to not allow your own self to congratulate yourself. And I was thinking about it with the left hand and the right hand, and I was like, you know, in my left hand, sometimes what happens in things that we might do, like giving to the needy is, when our left hand knows what our right hand can do, and we're looking for the approval of men, we start to self-congratulate. So we're like, I'm giving with this hand, and with the left hand, I'm like, oh, you're doing such a great job. You are killing it. Like, good job, way to go. And there's this way that that plays out. And John Stott, looking at this passage, here's what he wrote that was so good. He said, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. Oh, man. When you pray, don't focus on the eyes of men. If you pray publicly, it should be driven by a desire to approach God, to seek God on behalf of other people, and to lead them to the throne of God. But never for the approval of men. The majority then of your prayer life, Jesus gives you instruction where, where you might be struggling with this. If you want to test your motive, ask the question, is the majority of my prayer life in private conversation with God? Because this purifies your motives. And then he says, you want to correct your wrong motives? He says, go into your room, alone. Shut the door. If you have small children, you might need a padlock and chains. It's possible. 
and pray to your Father. Find your satisfaction in just talking to your God. That will purify your motives. If that is the majority of your time in prayer. So why is this so important to Jesus? Why? What can we see in the passage that would show us why Jesus warns us of this and cares so much about it? Let me point you to some clues. In the end of um, verse 1, he says, For then there you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Later, he says in the, in the verse 2, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. In the verse 5, same thing. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. Note when you're reading scripture, things where Jesus is, or God in different places is repeating himself. He's emphasizing something. What he's saying here is he's saying, listen, the glory of man is a reward. It does feel good for a moment. But it's a terrible reward. So, so look, look at this. Look at this picture on the screen. This is a simple picture of a, of, of, of a set of six human eyes. Different people, all sorts of different contexts. And they're looking at you. It is, it is a tempting but terrible reward to set your life up in such a way and begin to give in to patterns of thinking where you were trying to find approval from the many eyes of people. So let's just process for a second the insufficiency of human praise. Two really simple realities. One, listen, if you chase after the approval of men, it, it is never satisfied. It is never satisfied. There's no end to the degree in which you can seek approval from men and the, the, the many people in which you can seek approval from. So it's both in the amount and in the depth. More likes on your post, more subscribers, more followers, more attaboys. It's never ending. We have within us an insatiable appetite for affirmation. All of us to some degree. And if that's released into our life, the ramifications are incredibly damaging. You will never find satisfaction from humans. It will never fill you completely. People at the height of all sorts of industries have gotten themselves to a point at the greatest level of success and achievement and, and they get to a place and they look at their life and they go, I am hollow. Apart from something that feels better than that. In addition to it never satisfying, it's always unstable. Do you know the word fickle? <laughs> fickle is a very good word for human affirmation. Fickle is like the emotions of a three-year-old when they are tired and hungry. That thing can change in a moment. Some of you right now are like, <laughs> the, the, um, the realities of a 40-year-old when they're tired and hungry can change in a moment. It's pretty fickle, right? And, and so we, 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 we get this. Uh, like, it's constantly changing. It's unstable. It's temporary, and it can change so quickly from approval to disapproval. I mean, in seasons of life and relationship and marriage, something that like gave, got, got approval suddenly doesn't, and you're navigating these things all the time, and, and it creates an unstable foundation if you're chasing after it. 
If you chase after that glory, you'll get a reward. You'll feel good, but it will be fleeting. It is a terrible reward. Think about it right now. I'm, I'm, I'm communicating to hundreds of eyes, mostly, hopefully, awake, hopefully with brains and hearts that are fully engaged. Anyone in public ministry of any sort knows and needs to hear the warning in this passage. I am called, I believe in discerning God's will rightly in the midst of community and in the midst of my own relationship with God. I've discerned some things about some gifts that I believe God's given me. I've seen those play out in such a way and in the counsel of the people around me trying to faithfully live that out and that puts me in front of people teaching and communicating God's word. But, but, if, but if I do that, if I live that gift out for the approval of men, it is exhausting. Some of you know that. and some of you, as, as I said that, you're thinking about that in other, some other areas of your life, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your workplace, maybe with your uh, parents, maybe with someone else's approval that you've been chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. And you become dependent. If I became dependent on people's opinions, and my heart is set up to be disappointed. And it will never rest. Listen, church, I believe that, that this reality of seeking people's approval is one of the reasons why there are so many that never step into ministry of any kind, even the kind that God calls everyone to do. God calls everyone to live out their gifts in the context of, of the body of Christ. And I think some people don't do it because they're so concerned about the approval of men. And some of the reasons why I see, and I've been at places that I can definitely understand, why people quit ministry, even people as, as pastors and leaders, is because their eyes get on men, not on God. It's exhausting to depend on the glory of men. It's exhausting to position your spiritual life and then the realities of all of your life in, in, in a place where you need the loud validation to drown out your own sense of insufficiency. Let me say that another way. When you position your life like that, you are letting the validation of people become the affirmation of your justification. Let me just, let me just break this down for a second to help you understand the weight of what you're doing in that. When you let the validation of people become the affirmation of your justification, you have now placed your entire security on the many eyes. And you're attempting to find justification and righteousness in other people. Or sometimes what people do is they, is they show their righteousness to other people out of a desire to conform people to their standard. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And then expect everyone to express it in the same way to adhere to their standard. They are trying to establish their righteousness as the standard for holiness. You want to live in that, you're putting yourself right into a pressure cooker of expectation. Either needing it for justification or establishing it as justification is a exhausting place to live. And you might get a reward, but it's a terrible reward. And I think our response to these things should literally be like, Ugh. we should be like, I don't want this. It should 
we should train our minds to understand the gospel in such a way and receive God's word to a degree and abide in Christ in a way that causes that sort of idea to be nauseous, like nauseating to us. Instead, let's, it's time for a hard assessment and a motive check. Let's ask some hard questions. Where is the hole in your heart that is desperate for approval? And I, even in asking that question, could take some band-aids off some very deep wounds. Where is the leak and why? What circumstances in your life, what past relationships have left you desperate for approval from people? When you see it and your heart begins to race and you start to feel the weight of that, you understand, like I do, how exhausting it is. And um, just begin to confess it to the Lord. Even now, you can begin to pray something like this. God, I'm exhausted in my pursuit of a never-ending, inconsistent source of approval in the eyes of people. I am addicted to the temporary buzz of human approval, but it never satisfies for long. God, would you come and change my heart, redeem this broken part of my life? If this is your prayer, then you're ready for the next point, which is this. Find security know, knowing God sees your devotion. Look, look in verse, and he introduces it and starts to talk about um, how there's going to be no reward from your Father who is in heaven in verse, six, in verse 1. Then at the uh, end of verse 4, he says the last sentence, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. End of verse 6. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You start to see the pattern here. There's repetition that Jesus is giving in this because he's making a clear point. And so you've got to underst- you've got to underline that, highlight that in your Bible, write it on your mind and heart, even more importantly, and chase it. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Each part is weighty and significant. First, your father. God in all of his fullness, in all of the greatness that we uh, talked about earlier and sang about, he is your father in Christ. God is your father. He's your ultimate authority. He's the only one that's going to love you perfectly. He's the only one who's going to have his favor towards you beautifully and wonderfully and powerfully at all times, never ending, never increasing, never decreasing constantly towards you. He's the one that created you in his image. He's the one that formed you. He, he gave you in, in creating you. He uh, envisioned seeing you come to faith in Christ and then he gave you a purpose to play out and he delights in you. You're his child in, in understanding that God is your father, you, you, what you say when you say that and you live in the reality of that is you come under both his authority and his affection. That is the move of a good father. It's authority and affection. It's not a whole bunch of authority and a little bit of affection. It's not a whole bunch of affection and a little bit of authority. It is authority and affection perfectly together, gloriously, wonderfully perfect. Your father Sit here. Sit here in this. 
Admire the greatness of your Father. Find security knowing that He sees your devotion. Look what He says next. Who sees in secret, He sees. His eyes are on you. There's no place, church, where you can escape from the presence of God. There's no place. Like, listen, listen, listen. In these words, in these words, there is tremendous healing available for anyone who has faced the wrath, the disinterest, or the lack of seeing from an earthly father. There is tremendous healing in this. Honestly, every parent wrestles with the reality that their insufficiencies are in full view of their children. And every parent to a certain degree fails in so many different ways, but God, and that's why it's so important for uh, godly parents to lead their kids to the security and the stability of relationship with God as their father, amen? We need it. He sees. He brings both a love that comforts, secures, and fills your heart and a call to holiness. But, but, but God is able to do that and handle the combination of that. And what he does is he brings and, and develops in us is this like desperate desire for more of him. And into that, we realize that we don't want to find approval from people anymore. We don't even need it anymore because we see God wooing us to security in him. On top of that, then he concludes with a promise. He will reward you. More than being your father, more than just seeing you, his heart is to reward you. So what is his reward? His reward is his presence and approval through Christ. That's his reward. The, the reward is his presence and approval through Christ. The reward is the way the Spirit fills your heart when you rest in the security of knowing God. That he sees your devotion and through Christ he approves your devotion and fills up whatever is lacking by his grace. The church, the beautiful freedom of the gospel is, is that in every act of devotion towards God, do you recognize how unbelievably sufficient that is in comparison to God's holiness? Like, I, it, it's hard to even illustrate. It's like, if this is God's holiness, and I, 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 I try by faith to, to like, like, be devoted to God, and it like goes to here. And in the midst of this, though, Jesus is like, I've covered it. It doesn't matter whether the, the sufficiency is, insufficiency is here or here or beyond what I can even express in my hands. God, in the midst of that, is like, I've got it covered. I glory in your faith move. I am towards you. My affection is towards you. My love is towards you. My grace and desire to be with you doesn't change based on perceived or real insufficiency. And in that, you know what we can do? We can rest. We can rest. Because we don't have to earn anything anymore. And, and this reality of understanding what happens in the gospel, when these play together in your life, when, when your security is found in knowing God sees your devotion, then you'll find satisfaction and peace. And it's sustained by remaining in the presence of God, of remembering the character and the nature of God towards you in Christ. And then what happens out of that really naturally is holiness is your desire. 
Holiness is overwhelming call to the person who's trying to prove something or feels like they have to earn something. But in the beautiful, freely given love of God, holiness becomes your desire because you're not trying to find it to find affirmation in the eyes of people and Jesus has already covered the gap and so desire for holiness comes simply from resting in the presence of your father resting in the affection of his eyes towards you that he sees you and when you experience this reward also man you look at approval from people and you're like that's really absurd God help me And your motives start to get purified as you start to focus on an audience of one. One pair of eyes, not the many. I love that phrase, audience of one. And uh, I was reminded this week of uh, an NFL quarterback, Carson Wentz. Some of you might know. After he got saved, he had AO1 tattooed on his wrist to remind him, I play, I live, I think, I worship for an audience of one. There was a song um, written, I will not be singing the song, but I will give you the verse from it. It says, to my audience of one, you are father and you are son. As your spirit flows free, let it find within me a heart that beats to praise you. And now just to know you more has become my great reward. To see your kingdom come and your will be done, I only desire to be yours. Listen, God sees your devotion he delights in you through christ what more do you need in your giving in your praying in your serving in your reading in any other aspect of devotion focus on the audience of one it changes everything we we don't have to compare ourselves to other men for for other people for affirmation or justification we we do what we do in light of God's loving affirmation and the beauty and the vision of his holiness. We, we don't justify our disobedience here because we're so thankful for what God's done and in his forgiveness he calls us to more and to grow. We never come to a place where we've arrived because we're we, the only comparison we have is holiness. Not to some other person's a place they've gotten to in their life. I'm never finished in the progression of maturity because God just continues to draw me forward and it leaves me desperate for holiness and desperate for what Christ accomplished on the cross. Do you see? And I cry out for more of his Holy Spirit to empower me. I find security in Christ alone and we breathe deeply here. And we just take in God's goodness and the security that he's given us and the greatness of that. And we breathe out a desire to find approval in the eyes of people. L- listen, if, if you're continually finding your, if you're continually striving to find your justification or establish yourself rightly and you're seeking after the affirmation of, of people, trust me, you're in, um, you're in company and, and walking alongside so many of us in that. And if you're continually coming back to that place and it's causing great a disruption to your life, the, I just want you to recognize that this morning and be like, oh God, I really want to redeem this in my heart and life. I really want to redeem it. And uh, one practical resource that I would encourage you to, to pick up is um, a book that really uh, transformed my life in some pretty amazing ways I've talked about before. Edward Welch, When People Are Big and God Is Small. 
the pages of this book, probably now about 12 years ago, I was reading this book in a, in a place where um, what had a pattern had emerged in my life where I was seeking approval from men in a variety of different ways. And it was exhausting me. And I remember on a vacation with my wife, reading this book, laying over it, my head over the top, and just my tears just flowing onto the pages of it. As God's truth was just doing a work in my heart on this subject. I don't think I could preach on this subject. I don't even know if I would have seen it as clearly as I was able to confirm it as clearly as I did if I hadn't have gone through that season. And, but for right now, start here if this is you. Draw near to Christ. Draw near to both God has the one that should be your authority and the one who has affection toward you. Know the work of Christ that secures your identity in the work of Christ on the cross. Recognize that God's eyes are on you as his child if your faith is in Christ. Your righteousness is secured in what Christ has already done, amen? You are forgiven and restored and redeemed and reconciled and, and God's just calling you by faith to walk into what he has already accomplished. And yet so often we forget. We've got to root our heart in Christ. We've got, to, we've got to realize that we know his approval and it's so clear in the pages of scripture and it's sufficiency in every area where we feel insufficient. And when this is the pattern of your life, you won't be moved by positives or negatives that might come from people. You can respond rightly to both of them. And because you find your security in, in God, knowing that he sees your devotion, and what it cultivates in you is what some writers have called a non-anxious presence. That's the reward that only God can bring. That's the reward that only God can bring. And it not only is a blessing to your own soul, but it is used by God to be a blessing to many. And, and, and the way you cultivate that is keeping your eyes on the person of Christ, remembering what he's done for you in the gospel. So as we conclude today, we're going to focus on the person of Christ in communion. Jesus gave us this because he knew in passages like this, communion is a place for us to remember and to reflect and to confess. This is where we stop to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross, that that was the place where his love was manifested in his willingness to die for you, where his forgiveness was actually offered in his death, where he gave us in his a death on the cross grace in which we stand. On the cross, his eyes were on you individually and, and, and humankind collectively. His eyes were on us with deep love. Communion is a time to remember. Communion is also a time to confess. And this morning, I want you to take this time uh, in just a moment after the elements are handed out and I want you to start to confess the places in your life where you are longing for the glory of people. I want you to see the terrible reward that you've been receiving in that. And I want you to confess that to God and I want you to ask God for a fresh revelation that he sees your devotion. And let the warmth and the affection and the love from his eyes on you. It's the many exchange and given away for one pair of eyes, God's eyes, who loves you and so draw near to Christ for the sake of Christ, no one else. Communion is a time to remember and confess. 
So communion service, you can start to come forward now. And as the elements are passed, I want you to take the two cups with the bread and the juice and the symbols of Christ's sacrifice for you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, please let the cups pass. This is for uh, the followers of Christ. And take them in your hands, and and we're going to take them together in just a few moments after this song is sung over us. And as this next song is played, work through this call from God. In your devotion to God, seek the glory of God alone. Let's take this time to remember and confess. Let's do it now.